Well, um, as I said before, we're kicking off a new series, the biggest challenge we face as a society is, and today we get to look at there's not enough love or respect around the place. You know, as a culture, I think we've been trying, we have been trying really hard in the last number of years to be a place where people can get along, promote being nice and loving for one another. We really have much to commend from where we are from today, what we were a few years ago, I think. There's lots of good things happening and have happened. However, if you just think back to 2020 and even the last few weeks of this new year, I think you'll find, if we take a pulse check, there's a lot that we still have to go, a lot further progress still needs to be made. I mean, think about the Me Too movement or Black Lives Matter or panic buyers or workplace diversity or Trump or refugees or white supremacy and what would you add to that list? COVID vaccinations, maybe? It's not that people don't want to show love or respect, I don't think. I think we genuinely do. I think the problem is we just don't know how to do that really well when someone puts forward a different agenda, some ideas that we don't agree with. There's this quote from uh, Voltaire, and you probably heard it, but he never actually said it. It's very famous. He says, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend you to the death for your right to say it. Have you heard that before? Maybe you have. Sounds really nice. Trouble is today, I feel like we agree with that in principle until, until you cross the line in the sand. And at that point, you're censored, you're thought of as unloving, and, well, I can't really go with Voltaire's advice anymore. It's a tricky thing to navigate, isn't it? We live in a world that's really, really hard to get through that. And I feel today... We're probably less likely to agree with Voltaire's assessment on tolerance, and probably we fit more in line with Leslie Armour, who's the philosopher at the University of Ottawa. He says, to be a virtuous citizen today means to be one who tolerates everything except intolerance. The more I think about this, and have been the last few weeks, it seems to me that the more... It seems, sorry, it's no longer okay to disagree with someone on an issue or to say that one of you might be wrong, the other one might be right. We must all hold the same view, and to question that all views have equal value is a new definition of intolerance, isn't it? It doesn't seem to be a space, maybe you've experienced it at work or at home, where you can have a view on something and disagree with them, and yet genuinely, truly, honestly still love them and respect that person for being different from what you think. Have a view on something other than the dominant culture view on anything, Sex, marriage, generosity, refugees, vaccinations, China, the environment, political parties or homeschooling. And well, if the people around you don't agree with that, you're thought of as hateful or small-minded, unloving, denying human rights, bigoted, you name it. Now, I say that simply as a way to get us thinking this morning. I mean, it is a heavy topic for a Sunday morning at at 10.27 a.m., but to get us thinking about some of those issues in our society which are really cultural, culturally hot, divisive, issues that often cause people to have a strong view and, and disrespect or show unloving attitudes, particularly online or even in person, to those who have an opposing view. But I'm also mindful that love and respect and there not being enough of it is actually probably far more closer to home than some of those big issues we see 
it's things like navigating the divorce or the challenge of having your kids grow up or the fallout from a friendship when someone hurts you or just simply trying to make it through the work week in a post-COVID world. And that's quite a bit to think on on a Sunday morning. And so I think we could all agree that the issue of there not being enough love and respect is a bit bigger than just a few positive words we can put on Facebook. It's more complicated than just saying, you do you, or all we need is love. What I want to do today, having got us in that space, is to just offer a way forward to consider a piece of this love and respect puzzle that we often miss out. And I do think that when we get this part of the puzzle right, it leads to more love, more respect than you and me and society ever thought possible. And before we explore that, let's pray and then consider God's vantage point on the topic and what he has to say about it. Let's do that. Father, we have surveyed our society very briefly. We all agree there isn't enough love and respect. And so, Father, as we open your word now to hear what you would have to say about this, give us soft hearts and minds to hear your word and respond appropriately, Lord. Father, that your grace through your spirit would come to us this morning. We would hear you and respond in love and faith and obedience to what you have to say. In your name we pray these things, God. Amen. So, what's God's vantage point on this? You know, there's this moment in Jesus' life when someone asks him, Jesus, what is the most important command? It's a good question, isn't it? I mean, what's the, what's the one thing in life that truly exists to hang everything on? What's the one thing that is, is the most important thing? What is it? What should you spend all your energy doing day in and day out? Jesus gives an answer. He gives one answer with two parts, actually. He says the most important thing, the number one thing, is to love God and then to love others. Notice Jesus doesn't say, um, love yourself and then love others. Jesus says there's a greater love than both of those, actually. A love of God. Why? The answer is that a love of God motivates a love for others. I'll say it another way. To love God, to be loved by God, means the logical outcome is a love for people. And the reason that is so is because in Jesus, you and me have a frame of reference to love and respect, a reference that sent God himself to the cross, a grace that is undeserving towards us as sinners because at God's great cost to himself, Jesus died and rose again to forgive us and therefore I'm now able to forgive, love and respect others. And that's my summary of the question today. So let's see if we can give that some substance. The question on the screen, can the love of God really, truly increase our love and respect of others? Is it actually true? Is it, is it going to hold the test of, of life? And is the word of God going to support that claim? And so to do that, we're going to look at, from our Bible reading, John chapter 13, the first 17 verses. You can follow along in your outline. We've got four parts to walk through, and then we'll make two comments to finish on why I think actually, yes, the love of God does actually increase our love and respect of others. So the first thing we see is in the first three verses, if you've got your Bibles there, and these three verses in John 17 set up everything that's going to come. Now, now the event's happening, if we were to go through John's Gospel, we'd see this. It's just before, hours before Jesus is crucified. And twice, at the very start, 
we learn in verse 1 and 3 that Jesus loved his own. He loved them to the end. Jesus loved his own. He loved them to the end. He looks at those in the room. They're sitting down having a meal. He sees 12 men. And he knows full well what they will shortly do to him. And that's what makes his love for them this statement before we get into what happens, even more amazing. Just think about it. Ten of them, ten of these men will all abandon him and run away in a matter of hours. Leave him in his most desperate need of of ever in life and they just, they did not bear. One of them, one of his closest confidants and friends will publicly lie that he even knew this man. Three times. Deny Jesus. And then Judas? Well, look at verse 2. The devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. I mean, how do you love someone who rejects you, lies about you, denies you, slanders your reputation publicly, and avoids you? It's one of the most hurtful and powerful moments we can experience as humans. And respect and love isn't often our first thought, is it? But here John is emphasizing very clearly that Jesus loves them all the way to the end of his life, even when they are not respecting or deserving of his love. They don't love him back. Moreover, in verse 3 we learn something that Jesus could do here that you and me could never do in this situation. Unlike us, the God-man, he could influence this whole thing, so he's given respect. Verse 3, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew God the Father had given him power and control over this very situation. And you might expect at that point, if you hadn't read on, Jesus, knowing what's going to happen, he would he would get up and stamp the devil, he would berate Judas for what he's going to do, he'd tell Peter to grow up and 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 you know get some grit. He would tell the disciples to, to don't run away, don't be a coward. But doubtless we just don't expect that he goes in the opposite direction bends down, washes their feet, does not even make mention of the fact he knows what's going to happen. You see, John's setting up this story so there can be no doubt. Jesus is fully aware of who he is, what he's about to do, and what the 12 disciples are going to do as well. Yet in all the conflict, he loves them. That's why John says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And how is Jesus' love expressed in this moment? Well, verse 4 and 5 give us seven short, sharp and sh- short, shiny and sharp ways. We see that. The first four, Jesus rises from the mill, he takes off his outer clothes, he grabs a towel and he puts it around his waist. That's Jesus adopting the outfit, the role of a servant. The next three, he pours water into a basin, he washes their feet and he wipes them with a the towel around him. This is the self-emptying moment. One of those moments in your culture where you willingly become disrespected in order to love someone else. It's the moment we see God becoming a great servant of his people, isn't it? Jesus adopts this foot washing role entirely. The clothes, the outfit, the basin, the water. He doesn't do it from a pious point of view saying, I'll just gesture it. He gets in there and does it to fully embrace what his love for them means. And I fully get it too. Foot washing is strange. Like we don't do it today. It's an odd thing. We don't have a good comparison today as well. What would this be like in our culture? Um, simply, we just know that historically you walked with sandals on dusty, dirty roads and you sat down lying around a table. And so you had stinky feet and you needed to wash them. And 
the lowest servant in that place would wash the feet. Um, that's what happened. No one liked it. No one enjoyed it. No superior washed anyone's feet. Rank was very important and came into this. Jesus is their teacher. He would be the last person to wash the feet in that room. But he does. He reverses the normal order in this stunning display of love. A love that assumes a position of disrespect and embraces an undignifying moment. But not everyone gets that. Peter doesn't. He doesn't have a category for this kind of thing, right? And I don't think people have a category for this kind of love either. We say love everyone. We always have a limit in the back of our head, don't we? And Peter had that moment. And there's this confronting conversation in verses 6 to 11 where we see that. And he's just embarrassed and uncomfortable. Like totally, he's not, he, he can't handle it. And in verse 6, he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? There's shock. No way, Jesus. Don't wash my feet is the implied answer. You're not going to do it. And Jesus says in reply, Peter, I need to actually. But Peter's thinking on a social, cultural level. He just doesn't get it. After all, Jesus' words are a little shocking. I mean, they're almost prideful, aren't they? Jesus says, Peter, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Fake humility, is it? Like, I have to do it and you're part of me sort of thing. If the symbolism's allowed to come out, though, I think it's really clear. Jesus is washing their feet It's because it's a picture of what's to come at the cross, where Jesus will wash away their sin and their guilt and their shame. And the point is, you can have no part in God unless Jesus washes away your sin. The barrier, the issue between you and God, that's resolved through the cross. Peter doesn't get it. But what he does understand is he wants to identify with Jesus, so much so that he would jump in that tiny bowl of water, head to toe, if that's what Jesus wanted to. It's not necessary. A single washing from Jesus is enough. You don't repeat it. But as the feet are here, there's this ongoing cleansing of sin, which is off, which we do need forgiving from. Grace, you see, enables us to love others. And we're always going to need that grace. But the fundamental cleansing of Jesus, once never repeated. And then at this point, after washing Peter's feet, Jesus then explains this in more detail. What's, what's the ongoing significance of this really strange moment? And he gives them one challenging command in verse 12 to 17. It says, when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. Speaking to all of them now, not just Peter. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, this is what I am. Now that I am your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Interesting. Jesus sits down and says, here's my title, here's my authority, here's my position, I am teacher, I am Lord. He doesn't use them for his own gain. He uses his authority to serve those around him. We see that, didn't we? He gave up his rights, first in the incarnation at Christmas, as the God-man, and now he goes to the cross, adopting this undignifying position. Before the cross, washing their feet, in fact, as someone who serves and loves those who aren't deserving of respect, who aren't lovable in themselves in any way at all. And this, this is this unique, category-breaking way of Jesus, of lordship and service, of authority and humility, lofty claims and lowly conduct, said one commentator. 
And you see, when you really think about it, this is where Jesus moves from a nice example to just the realm of impossibility. To say it another way, you can't love like Jesus does here. We can't do that. Do you remember the scene from Pretty Woman? You know, at the start of the movie, she walks in the shop and the shop keepers, attendants, look down upon her and, uh, and usher, usher her out the store pretty quick because they think she's not deserving of her respect. And then a few days later, she goes back in the store and says, quite famously, big, huge mistake. That's how we do respect most days, isn't it? If you don't look the part, I won't give it to you. Often I heard people say things like, show me respect and I'll show it to you. It's a two-way street. But if God treated us that way, Jesus wouldn't have been born. He wouldn't have had to die. He wouldn't have even come. The amazing grace of God in Jesus is that while we were still undeserving, enemies, in fact, of God, God shows his love for us in that Jesus died for us, serving us. Moreover, by the grace of God, Jesus tells them, tells us in verse 15, that this example is to be the dominant mood of his community. Verse 15, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Jesus is saying, this attitude I have towards you, you must have it towards one another. And that's why a love of God has to come first. Flavoring our love for people. Because no one can exhibit any of these qualities unless they accept Jesus' death for their salvation, unless their own seat of desires has been forgiven, unless they, they know the grace of God and how heavy their sin is and the weight that Jesus carried on the cross for them. We will never forgive or love or respect anyone. That's the pointy part. Love and respect starts with Jesus. Jesus is not saying here, be nice, like Helen DeGeneres does at the end of every show. She finishes by saying, be nice. He says, love. Love by putting yourself in a position of disrespect. Love from the point where I'm willing to die. Love from the point where I'm going to wrap my hands around the feet of Judas. Love from the point where I'm going to wrap my hands around the feet of Peter. Who will deny me? And everyone in those rooms is going to run away. Love from a culturally shocking point of view because it's uplifting to others. Love already cleansed, already forgiven, already filled by Jesus, not to get something, not to get respect, not to get your reputation boosted, but simply love like I have loved you for your benefit, for their benefit and the glory of God. Which means... The challenging command, of course, is to love as Jesus loves, to be willing to be disrespected if necessary. And that's the example of Jesus on love and respect. What we need to do now is see if we can summarize that into to two points, giving us a way forward for today. What does this mean? Firstly, the point I want to make is it's about belonging to Jesus. The, this event points the cross and the cleansing Jesus offers us from our sin, which means the self-sacrifice of Jesus is the source of life and the ability to show love and respect. And secondly, it's all about behaving like Jesus from that. His love for us is the driving force to love and serve one another. So, belong to Jesus. To say it again, there is a, an order and a way that love of Jesus shows us. Love God then love others. Embrace the love God has for you so that you can love others. That was his point when Peter objected and Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Right there in that moment, Peter's confronted with the Jesus he did not know how to handle. 
That was not a Jesus Peter expected. But to stop Jesus from washing his feet was to actually deny the love and forgiveness that Peter needs from his Lord. And maybe today, maybe for some of you here, as we've been talking through this, as we've been thinking on it in the last few moments, this has been a confronting Jesus for you too. You, you've met a Jesus here and thinking things that you've found hard. But the problem of there not being enough love and respect in the world is not actually out there. It's actually in here, in each one of us. You see, Jesus does love you as he loves these 12 men sitting around the table. He became incarnate at Christmas time, putting aside his godness to be like us, yet he remained God at the same time, and he loved you and me enough to be humiliated on a cross to die the death we deserve for our sins and rebellion, or to forgive us and love us. And maybe, maybe pausing here and just thinking through the claims of Jesus for yourself, who is your saviour and Lord and teacher, maybe you need to spend some time doing that. And if you do, in the next few weeks, we're offering the life course available to you. This is a, a four, four or five week course at Zitto's at Tea Tree Plaza, and the other churches around the area, Mobry and Paraka, are getting together too. And if you'd like to know the claims of Jesus, explore what it means to follow this God who would willingly wash the feet of those who would betray him and forgive your sin. Then come along to that. It starts in February, and come and see me if you'd like to know more details. And we'll let you know on the emails as well. But maybe you need to pause here and think, do I belong to Jesus? But maybe you're here, and well, you agree with Jesus. You identify as a Christian very clearly, and you have for a long time. And so if that's you, then kind of ask you something else today. May you take Jesus' command seriously and behave like him? You know there are some great teachers around, and I'm sure you all have a story of someone, maybe a formal teacher or someone who taught you something that really stuck with you. For me, it was my year nine maths teacher. I hate maths, still do. But for one semester when I had this teacher, it was 99%, I remember, and I couldn't believe it. Then she left and got promoted and I just bombed out again and have never ever liked maths at all. But that one teacher taught in such a way, instructed in such a way, guided in such a way, I got it, I understood it, I could pass United Maths for one semester. Teachers, but what they do, are good at instructing and guiding and Jesus was a teacher. He did those things. But at the same time, Jesus is Lord. And the difference between a Lord and a teacher is that the the Lord asks for obedience. He can command things. Christians look to Jesus as our teacher and our Lord, the teacher to instruct us and the Lord, our Lord, to command us. What I'm getting at is this means letting Jesus shape and mold our views and opinions. And there will be some pizza moments when Jesus will say something or do something that you find hard to swallow and doesn't fit your view of him. Jesus will teach uncomfortable, often unfashionable things. He will teach it and then command our obedience to that. But he's not doing it for shock value. He's not doing it like Joe Rogan does on his podcast. He's not doing it to be different. He's doing it to show you and me what a flourishing life under God looks like. And of course that will confront us, challenge us at our very identity at some times, with who we are as a person, our sexuality, our priorities, our generosity in life. It's hard to swallow at times, yes, because Jesus is here to undo a structure of living, a kingdom that cannot hold the weight we place on it, the kingdom of you and me. Our sin need forgiving. Jesus is Lord. I am not. You are not. We do have ideas that don't square with God. He's not just teaching. He's Lord. 
And he commands new life and new priorities. And that's a very good thing. The best thing, in fact, even if it's hard. You know, today, it sounds like, anyway, that the victim gets the loudest voice often in our culture. That if I've been disrespected, I deserve for you to love me back and give me justice. I deserve that because of this particular thing. And, and of course, there is lots of good reasons to do that, and we should create spaces for people who have been abused in any way to stand up, and we should hear their voice and encourage you to feel safe to do that. So we need that. But having the loudest voice as a Christian for belief in Jesus is not really the way of Jesus, actually. Jesus knows life's unfair, so he bows down and washes and serves these men and us. As a Christian, we need not worry about having the loudest voice or if we have rights or if it's unfair. It's actually not important. Jesus shows us love and respect do not depend on winning the cultural narrative. It's taking Jesus seriously, his command, and washing the feet of those around us like Judas and Peter. Dominic Steele is a pastor in New South Wales. You may have heard of him. He works at the Sydney Morning, worked, worked at the Sydney Morning Herald for a number of years before planning a church. He started a Bible study, Sydney Morning Herald, and after a few months of that happening, a woman came up to him and said, Dominic, could we go out for a coffee? I said, sure. I'm a Christian woman. And they start chatting, and halfway through, Dominic recounts the story where he says, so why did you pick me to share this? This was pretty personal stuff that she's kind of pouring out on, on him, and they've never met. They're just work colleagues that kind of pass one another. And, and this is what she said. Well, I don't hear you talking or gossiping about others, so I thought it would be safe to talk to you. You know, in a culture so loud, vocal, so desperate to be heard, I think there's a space for the Christians to be the safest people to be around, to hear and to love, to respect and to listen, to offer gentleness and grace in reply, all because Jesus has given it to us. And I do wonder, maybe maybe our evangelism would be more effective if we were more like that. As Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so my challenge for us is, would you be willing to live this way? To live a steady, slow burn life that comments differently on social media, that shows love to people who aren't like you? Would you understand the gospel of Jesus is the only way that allows for someone to utterly betray you, to disrespect you, hurt you, lie to your face, protest against you as a person, yet at the same time to kneel down and show them love and respect, kindness, Generosity. This is the love the world needs to see. And I think that's the way forward for there not being enough love and respect in the world. Because Jesus came to address the greatest problem, you and me. Maybe today over coffee, you'd like to share with someone, or be asked the question, what area of life do you need to show more love and respect in? I'm sure each of us have pockets of our life where we're just a teensy bit unloving and probably aren't as respectful to our boss on a Monday morning as we should be, or maybe you could ask someone, talk to them, and, and then commit to praying for them every day this week over, over a coffee and say, I'll pray for you, and here's what you can pray for me. But let's do that. Let's be people that love ridiculously, respect regardless, all because the grace of God has been given to us, and we can freely show that to others. Let's pray.
our great God and Father, we thank you that while we were still weak and sinful, you came and died and rose to forgive us, to give us new life in you. And Father God, that is the motivation for our love and respect of others. It's not easy. It is hard. Father God, we can see that. We know the world, that people are as desperately need to see this great love of God. So Father, use us. Change our hearts, Lord. We can't do this on our own. It's impossible. But, but God, you give us your spirit. And so Spirit, move and change us as we begin this year to show love and respect in a way that has never been seen, but that can only come from you, our great God and Saviour. So you be given the glory. Amen.